Welcome to the Peds NP, Pearls of Pediatric Evidence-Based Practice. I'm your host, Becky Carson, Clinical Assistant Professor at Catholic University of America in Washington, DC. And some of you may remember from last season that I was pregnant. Well, in honor of the birth of my daughter last month, I am dedicating season six of the Peds NP to babies. All season long, we're gonna note specific system-based issues that affect newborns and infants because they're such a unique and special population and I am enjoying all of the newborn snuggles and coos, also the late nights awake. I wanted to start with a topic that's very hot in the news and in our house right now, breastfeeding. A recent nationwide shortage of formula has really shocked parents. Up to 40% of the supply is out of stock, leaving parents in a lurch all over the country. Even more concerning is that WIC is the nation's largest purchaser of infant formula, and therefore this shortage disproportionately affects minority and low socioeconomic populations. Less than 50% of babies are breastfed by the time they're three months of age, despite recommendations from the AAP that advise exclusive breastfeeding for the first six months of life until the introduction of solid foods. And ideally, breastfeeding should continue for at least one year or longer until it's safe to introduce cow's milk. With formula shortages plaguing our patients, maternal and child providers should use every opportunity to encourage success in breastfeeding moms. Certainly, there are some cases where breastfeeding is contraindicated, like galactosemia or HIV-infected mothers in the United States. And there are a lot of other reasons to choose formula. But we can take this opportunity to help moms who are struggling with the mechanics and logistics of breastfeeding to help them be successful. Don't get me wrong. I'm a full advocate of fed is best rather than breast is best. In whatever form it may be, I want babies to get the calories and nutrients they need for excellent growth and development. That is my number one priority. I understand that choosing formula is multifactorial and that the necessity to use formula extends beyond mother's understanding of the benefits of breastfeeding. There is no room for shaming or judgment on my podcast. This episode is about helping the moms who already chose breastfeeding but are having trouble. And another disclaimer from me as a pediatric nurse practitioner and a mom. First and foremost, you do not have to be a parent in order to be a great pediatric nurse practitioner. And for all of my male listeners out there, You don't even have to have breasts to be a great advocate of breastfeeding. Students often have this false sense that they're not as effective as a PNP if they haven't had children yet, but I am shouting from the podcast rooftops that it doesn't matter. You need to know anatomy, physiology, pathophysiology, normal growth and development, and how to effectively manage and communicate with families. It does not require you to be a parent. Let's cover some tricks that the pediatric provider can assess and intervene on to help babies and moms who are having trouble in those first days to weeks of life. In this episode, we're going to assume that both mom and baby are healthy and without contraindications to breastfeeding. We could have an entire season or podcast dedicated to breastfeeding, but I'm going to hit some high points that are common in primary care. If mom was comfortable with it, you should watch a feed. First, evaluate her nipples. Is the nipple shape amenable for the baby to latch? Moms who have flat or inverted nipples may need a nipple shield or to pump a little bit prior to latching the baby in order to achieve the proper shape of the nipple, 
wherein the baby can then adequately suck to draw out the milk? Is there cracking, inflammation, or bleeding? Some discomfort can be normal in the first few days to week, but it should get better and it should not continue throughout the feed. The discomfort should last less than a minute. A few drops of breast milk, lanolin nipple cream, or hydration gel pads can provide comfort until mom gets used to that sensation. Next, look at mom and baby's positioning. Positioning can be tricky in the first days of breastfeeding. Both mom and baby need to be comfortable. Pick a position. There's cradle, cross cradle, football, laid back, and side lying. It's important for new moms to try a couple of different positions until they find what works for them as a pair. Encourage mom to use pillows to bring the baby up to the level of the breast without her bending over. The baby's head should be directly in front of the nipple. You don't want to have the baby have to stretch her neck, turn her head, or move the breast in order to reach the baby's mouth. Then make sure that the baby is in a straight line, meaning that there is a straight line from the ear to the shoulder to the hip, and that baby is tummy to tummy with mom. Imagine how uncomfortable it would be for you to drink a cup of milk with your chest and hips rotated 90 degrees from your face. The baby's body should be snuggled around mom with hips flexed. Now with baby and mom comfortable, it's time to think about the latch. The biggest reason for sore nipples that I've seen is poor latching, and this is where you can correct bad technique in those early newborn visits. The baby's mouth should be wide open like a yawn, and the nipple inserted deep into the hard palate so that the baby's lips are flanged out, kind of duck face looking. The nipple is not visible, and much of the areola is covered by the lips. It's a really lazy baby move for them to slip down on the nipple during a feed, which both restricts milk flow and is very painful for the mother. I've seen moms who didn't realize that this was happening and felt like they needed to muscle through this pain in order to feed their babies, but that is just absolutely not true, and you need to remind the mother that breastfeeding should not be painful. So tell mom to insert a finger into the baby's mouth to break the suction and then try the latch again. Insist that she is picky about a good latch from her baby so that the baby develops good feeding practices. Mom may need to support her breast in order to get a good latch and for baby to stay on. She can make a breast sandwich by grasping the breast about an inch or so back from the areola in a C or a U shape with her hand. This removes the weight of the breast from the baby's chin and allows for a better flow of milk. In those early days of feeding, babies fall asleep rather quickly, and it can be really hard for a mom to know whether they're getting a good feed. So as you're watching that feed, listen for a faint clicking noise, watch for jaw movement, and ask about dirty and wet diapers as an indication that the baby is getting colostrum. When mom's milk comes in during lactogenesis 3, she's going to notice a more obvious softening of the breast as it empties and swallows will become louder. But a sleepy baby can be very frustrating to a mom who feels ready to pop with pressure. And we certainly don't want her to get plugged ducts, mastitis, or decrease the hormonal feedback of milk production. So how do you stimulate a baby that keeps falling asleep at the breast? Well, you can undress them down to the diaper, flap their arm that's out like a little chicken wing, rub their mastoid, or tickle their feet. The baby is going to pop off when he or she has had enough. 
And it's really important for the baby to dictate when the feed is done because the early part of that feed includes foremilk, which is mostly hydration and lower in fat content. The latter part of the feed has hind milk, which has high caloric density and helps them gain weight. If mom is popping the baby off too early and switching them between breasts because she feels really full and wants to make sure that both breasts get empty, then the baby's going to be super hydrated with less of the good fatty milk. Towards the end of a normal feed, baby's sucks will slow down, but that's a time when they're likely getting a lot of hind milk. Mom should either wait for the baby to detach on their own or wait until there's very obvious non-nutritive sucking before detaching the baby from the breast. This is another reason that the AAP does not recommend pacifiers before one month of age. Pacifier use centers around the idea that non-nutritive sucking feels good to babies. And moms are often able to tell the difference between when a baby is sucking but just more slowly and still having swallows of hind milk versus non-nutritive sucking like it just feels good. Early use of pacifiers can lead to missed feeding cues and interfere with the ever-important suck-to-milk production feedback loop. They aren't contraindicated, but the best use of pacifiers is when the baby just wants to suck but isn't hungry and breastfeeding is well-established. Going back to our sleepy baby scenario, if baby won't wake up, then using hand expression or a hand pump to relieve the pressure is the next step. But remind mom only to pump until the discomfort subsides. Don't pump until the breast is empty because that would tell her body, hey, the twins drank all the milk, so we better make some more. And this can lead to overproduction, which can be painful for mom and frustrating for baby. Mom is more likely to feel engorged and get a clogged duct, while baby is more likely to get a forceful letdown and swallow lots of airs that can lead to gas pains. Plus, all that foremilk can make baby full early, where then they don't get enough of that fatty hind milk that is so important for brain development. Having tons of spare milk around seems like a great idea, especially with this formula shortage crisis. But pumping is not advisable until at least four to six weeks postpartum when breastfeeding is established in baby and the hormonal control is more stable. Maybe mom has the opposite worry and feels like she doesn't have enough milk. Use the baby's growth to guide your advice here. Babies should gain 20 to 30 grams per day from birth to three months. You may have to calculate the weight gain rather than relying on a growth chart to get specific details on whether the infant is achieving adequate weight gain since their last visit. A trick I learned from my favorite gastroenterologist is to subtract the old weight from the new weight in grams, then Google how many days since their last visit to get the number of days since the last visit, and then divide your weight change by that number. Let's do an example. At her last well visit on April 27th, my baby girl weighed 3.3 kilograms. Today, we had a visit and she weighed 4.1 kilos. The difference is 800 grams. So then I type into my Google search bar, how many days since April 27th? And Google tells me it's been 21 days. So I divide 800 grams by 21 days to get 38 grams per day. And then I give myself a pat on the back because she is clearly feeding just fine. If mom feels like she isn't making enough milk, it can be very tempting to use galactagogs, 
These are foods and drinks that increase milk production. And they can either stimulate prolactin to make more milk or initiate a milk letdown. The tricky part about using medications and herbal supplements to try to increase milk production is that herbal supplements may not be regulated by the FDA and meds or supplements can have contraindications and they certainly can have side effects. I tend to support the concept that increasing milk production is best achieved through mom's well-balanced nutrition with an added four to 500 calorie increase per day, excellent hydration, and frequent emptying of the breasts to tell that feedback cycle to make more milk. Even as tempting as it is to get a little bit of extra sleep where you can, you need to wake up those sleepy newborns at least every two and a half to three hours to avoid decreasing the supply poor weight gain, and other breast complications. As we support new moms in breastfeeding, sometimes that means she needs a break. And if you remember from the PEDSNP episode 23 on baby registry musts, a haka can catch drops of breast milk to be used later in a bottle, which can be a great bonding opportunity for another caregiver. Worries about nipple confusion can deter mom from trying a bottle. But experts disagree on which babies will have difficulty transitioning between the breast and bottle. It is technically ideal to wait until mom feels like she has breastfeeding established, which could be as late as four weeks. But mom may need a break sooner, so there is no contraindication to trying a bottle. Some babies might need to try several different nipples because the process of draining the breast is very different from sucking from a bottle. You can try different flow nipples. Slow flow is probably preferable. Softer silicone textures or a wide mouth shape for a more natural transition. Remember that recommendation on waiting to begin pacifier use until breastfeeding is well established at three to four weeks of age? The AAP cites early use of pacifiers with breastfeeding difficulties and early weaning. But an article by Care et al. in 2013 that examined pacifier restriction in hospitalized newborns emphasized that there remains a paucity of high-quality medical literature that demonstrates an adverse relationship with pacifier use in women who are motivated to breastfeed. What does that mean? If a mother is committed to breastfeeding but needs to use a pacifier or a bottle to stay sane and get a break, I say use it but continue to encourage breastfeeding with good practices that help mother and baby continue to stay in sync with one another. And I'm here to tell you that that paucity of high quality literature still exists. So let's do whatever we can to support mom in her breastfeeding. Don't be afraid to refer moms who are having trouble with feeding to a lactation consultant or a breastfeeding clinic. We wanna support them and getting professionals involved is a great idea. The internet is a wealth of knowledge, but it can also be a dangerous place. Make sure that mom's sources on the internet are positive and reputable, such as La Leche League, the National Association for Pediatric Nurse Practitioners, or NAPNAP, and the American Academy of Pediatrics, all of whom have wonderful online resources for parents. With formula shortages at all-time highs and the cost of feeding a baby soaring exponentially, It makes the choice to encourage the natural, free, and mutually beneficial to mom and baby practice of breastfeeding a no-brainer recommendation. But pediatric providers need to be savvy about the physiology, mechanics, and tricks of breastfeeding in order to advise struggling moms and encourage the maintenance of breastfeeding. Remember to stay sympathetic 
and if mom feels like she needs to transition to formula, remain supportive and remind her that her baby being fed is best. I hope that you'll like, comment, and subscribe to the Peds NP, where we focus on the practical application of evidence-based practice. There's no financial support or conflict of interest in this or any episode of the Peds NP. You can see show notes and references at www.thepedsnp.com. Remember that this isn't just a podcast. You're helping feed babies. I'm Becky Carson. Take care.